Hope you're doing well this morning. Welcome to the Real Estate Rundown with Shannon Robnett. I wanted to remind you of your childhood a little bit. You know, there was one game that I always wanted. There was two games, two games that I always liked playing, and it made me feel really grown up when I was about 10 years old. One was Monopoly, and one was Life. How many remember those games, right? We had the little plastic car, and you put the little people in there, and then you got the or you could be the dog, right? Do not pass go. You got to buy the land. You got to buy the houses. But I want to remind you that those games weren't that far off. In fact, one of the most prolific speakers and writers of our time about investing in simplified terms is Robert Kiyosaki with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right? But I want to challenge you guys to think about the game of Monopoly. And I want to challenge you guys to think about what you can do with your life if you choose. And if you're watching this video and you find what I talk about intriguing, email me. Hit me up at ShannonRobNet.com. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram. Tell me what you want. I can get you the spreadsheet that I'm talking about in here, okay? When you look at the game of Monopoly, the first thing you got to do is you got to go around, you got to get a job, pass and go, and, and uh, you know, community chess gives you some money, and you're hoping not to, not to land on jail and things like that, right? And those are all real-life situations. But the reality is, at the end of the day, you're trying to buy land and you're trying to buy three pieces in most cases, unless you get the best two, and that's Boardwalk and Park Place. But then you're trying to put houses on them. And once you have four houses, then you can put a hotel and the rents go up every time and everybody's giddy. And that's when it gets bloody at my house. We, <laughs> we are not allowed to pay, play Monopoly at my house. We are way too competitive. Um, and I say we, my kids say me, but you know, that's okay. We can agree to disagree on that. They're not here to defend myself. Um, but when you think about that, I wanna start you guys off on a journey that I did when I was a, when I was a young man, if you can believe that. And you know, I didn't start out with uh, a, a big pile of cash to work with, in fact, when I bought my first place, we bought a one-bedroom, one-bath house. I traded my drum kit for a garage door on the back. It was a carport at the time. We enclosed it, put a garage door on it. And we were on, on, a, on a path of home ownership that was pretty awesome. Then we wanted to upgrade. We wanted to make some changes. So I, I sold that house. We moved in with my parents. I began to build another house because that's what I do. And in two months time, we had all of our stuff loaded in the garage. It was, I think it was a Tuesday. We were getting ready to move into the garage or we'd moved our stuff into the garage because we'd sold our house. And, and we were all excited about it. And my mom calls because she's a realtor. And you know, when a realtor calls you, that's usually good news. Well, this wasn't. She said, I think I may have sold your house. And I said, oh, uh, we're moving in. I don't know that I want to sell it. And she said, well, I think I have a full price offer. I think, I think I have somebody that wants to pay you $82,500. Now this was a brand new 1200 square foot, 11, uh, 
1,200 square foot, three bedroom, two bath house. Nice brand new neighborhood, you know. And this is Idaho though, so you got to pencil that in. And I said, what? 82.5? No way. I never said that. I want 87.5. Now you have to understand, I just bumped the price 7, 8%. So I was pretty confident that there was no way that we were going to get a deal done on this. So I went home. I didn't say anything. A couple hours later, my mom called back and she said, well, they'll take it at 87.5. Oh, shoot. I had to explain to my wife. What in the world was I going to do? So I did what anybody did, and I dazzled her. And I said, honey, we have an opportunity to sell this house, and with that profit, I would like to build us the same house right down the street. They got a lot available. The same house down the street, but I want to put in a two-headed shower. I was... I was pretty impressive with my sales skills at that time. But my wife was pretty good, too. She countered back and she said, okay, we can sell it. We can put in a two-headed shower. But I want to make it a little bit bigger. And I said, well, what do you mean? And she said, I want to put a fireplace in the living room. I said, okay. We added a little bit to the plan. I rebuilt the house, three-bedroom, two-bath. was 1,300 square feet, had a walk-in shower with two heads in it and a fireplace. And we made money at that. We lived in the next house for about a year. And I went to my wife and I said, I want to sell the house. I want to build a house over there on another lot. And I want to put on a little bit bigger garage, a wider garage. And I think I think I wanted I want to build the same floor plan. And my wife said, Well, you know, I was thinking the same thing. I agree with you, and I want a jetted tub. I said, Ooh, jetted tub, huh? So we set about drawing the plans. We built the house, we sold the other one, and we kept moving up. And we built that same floor plan six times. Every time it got a little bigger. By the time we got done, it was twenty one hundred square feet. It was a three bed, four bedroom, three bath, three car garage with a bonus room over the ad over the garage, and it was in a really nice neighborhood. And we had done that through leveraging our way up every single time. And now that I'm, well, as old as I am, I look back and I see the mistake in that. I see the mistake that because we owned the house and it was our primary residence, we weren't required to pay taxes on the gains. I get that. But the thing that I should have done was never sold the first one. See, if I would have still had that $87,000 house, I would be looking at a $260,000 house now. I would have had somebody else pay for it the whole time, and I would be sitting on, just with the houses that I sold personally, I would be sitting on seven houses that if I had not touched the money and applied all of the funds that I made on those additional houses toward the payment of the other ones, I probably would have the majority of them, in fact, almost all of them paid for. You following me, guys?
And so as I've grown older, I've learned a few things, and I want to pass those on to you. If you're a first-time home buyer, you can go with an FHA program, and you can go into a house with about 3% down. You can actually borrow that from friends and family, or you can get it gifted to you, or you can do a lot of things. They allow you to do a lot of things as a first-time home buyer. But I want you to follow me, if you will, in the, in, the, in the IMAX picture in your mind that you go in and you buy a $260,000 house or a three-bedroom, two-bath house. It's a beautiful house, nice neighborhood, probably about eight to 10 years old. Nothing major wrong with it. Maybe it needs a coat of paint. Maybe it needs the yard work whipped into shape. Maybe it needs a few of those things. But you decide that that's what you want to do, and you come up with your 3% down $260,000 house, so you're going to have to come up with about seven grand. You've located that. You've made the deal. You've done the deal, and you are on to what's next. Now, in that scenario, you move into the house, and you are the owner-occupant because that's what FHA requires. And after about 12 months, 14 months, you start looking around for another house. Now, FHA will allow you to have up to four FHA loans, which would allow you to write them a letter and detail your hardship. Maybe you're looking for a bigger house. I, I'm looking for something in a better area. I'm looking for this. I'm looking for that. And you, you, you get approved for that. Then you go buy another house with another 3% down. What do you do with the first one? Well, you rent it out. You've lived there for a year, year and a half. You've established that that was your primary residence, but for reasons known only to you, that has changed. So in that 18-month period of time, you've scraped together another 7500 bucks. And that sounds like quite a feat. It's $300 a month. For the first year, that's going to put you at $3,600, $300 a month. For the second year, it's going to put you at $7,000. That's assuming you don't do something really silly like go get your real estate license because commission is 3%. But I digress. So now you're, you've scraped your money together and you bought your second house. Your first house is now making you $200 a month that you're putting into the kitty. Because you're going to have expenses. You're going to have water heaters go out. You're going to have sprinkler lines that didn't get properly blown out that are going to need to be taken care of. You're going to have a tenant that moves out that punches a hole in the wall. You're going to have those things. You're going to have the refrigerator crap out on you. You're going to have those things. So you're going to put that money away. But now you have your $200, your $300 that you're putting away, plus the $200 that the house is making you every year. But now we're going to involve a thing with Uncle Sam called depreciation. It's a weird thing. I don't get it. But one thing I've learned about my uncle is I don't ask a lot of questions. I just read the rules real good. So Uncle Sam says that if you live in your house, your house does not depreciate. It is your home. There is no value that you lose every year due to owning the home. But Uncle Sam says in rental property and commercial real estate that that house goes down in value one twenty-ninth a year. It means that if you have a house in 29 years, the Uncle Sam says the house is of no value. It needs to be torn down and a new one built. Now we know that that's not entirely true, but that's what the tax code says. And I don't like to argue with Uncle Sam. So at the end of the day, you're sitting there looking at it going, well, 
we're going to assume that we bought a $290,000 house, just for easy math for us here on YouTube here. But for $290,000, that means you get to write $10,000 annually off of your taxes. How does that happen? Well, Uncle Sam says that that $290,000 house is only worth $280,000 the following year. So we're $270,000 the following year. And so Uncle Sam says, well, Shannon, you went to work all year. You did really great. You made $50,000. But since you lost $10,000 on your rental, we're going to say you only made forty. dollars Okay, I mean, I'm not going to argue with you. If you're going to say I'm going to save money, then you're going to say I'm going to save money. And let's just say I'm in the 28% federal tax bracket, and I just took $10,000 off my wages. That means I'm going to pay $2,800 less in taxes. Now, here's what a lot of people fail to do with taxes, is they fail to put themselves in a situation where they actually put that money in their hands so they can feel it. They call it a tax savings. They call it a tax credit. They call it a lot of things, but they don't really realize that it's real money. It means that last year I paid X dollars, and this year I paid $2,800 less. Well, what did I do with my $2,800? Did I, am I a W-2 earner where I paid that in and now I'm going to get a refund? Because if I got a refund, that money needs to go into my real estate fund because that's where it came from. So I've created a $2,800 savings to me, but I've created a $2,800 savings to me that needs to be realized in my real estate portfolio account. So when I do that, and when I put that $2,800 a month or $2,800 for the year in there, that means that I have one rental that gave me $2,800, and these are approximate numbers. You have to get with your accountant to get actual numbers, but I want you to follow the concept. In, in the second year, I have put away my $300, so I have created my $7,000. My rental has added $200 to that, so it has added $5,000 to that, and, well, let's just do it for a year at this point, guys. I put away my $300, that's $3,600. My rental gave me another $200, so that's $2,400. 36 to 24, 6,000, right? But then my tax return comes and I got another 2,800 bucks back from the IRS. So now I have enough to buy a third house. Did you see how that worked, guys? It took us over two years to get our first house to our second house. But it only took us a year to get from our second house to our third house with the down payment. But the problem is now for the third time in three years, you're moving. Now, I don't know about you, but unless you got a bill collector chasing you, that's not a fun thing. But I want to tell you why you did that. Because the first house you bought now three years ago for $260,000 has appreciated, let's just say, 5% a year. That house is appreciated for about 10 grand. So now your $260,000 house is worth about $270,000. So you got paid $3,000 every time you moved. But now you have a second house adding to that value as well. So now it's gone to $4,000 every time you move. Are you willing to move for $4,000, boys and girls? 
the thing is the compounding math gets better and it comes to a point here real soon that about house three about house four which is oddly the limit with fha you no longer need to move because in an annual time span you are creating enough income tax benefit and uh savings of your own because you're never letting your foot off of that throttle you're not out there buying nice things and boats and and parasails and all that kind of stuff you're not doing that kind of stuff you are still putting your money into your project. You're still putting your money into your projects. You're still growing your business portfolio because you're in the interest of building that. What I'm saying is about the fourth house, you're going to reward yourself and you're going to buy yourself something a little nicer. I get it. Maybe a little four bedroom, three bath. Maybe you're going to step into that three and a quarter category, but don't get crazy, guys, because you're burning your capital. But then you're adding a house a year in the fourth year, the fifth year. But then when you're doing that, what about the sixth year? The sixth year, you're going to add three houses. Well, if you're getting $2,800 back from the IRS for each house, you have five houses. Did I say you were making $50,000? So Uncle Sam is looking at it going, well, Shannon lost $50,000 on his rentals because they depreciated. How much taxes is Shannon going to pay? Zero, boys and girls. This is how Jeff Bezos, the Amazons of the world, the Apples of the world, the Warren Buffetts of the world pay less taxes. They have assets. This is what Robert Kiyosaki talks about so much in his books about paying less taxes because that, if you think about that, when you divorce your partner of 28 to 40 percent being the federal government, who does not give you an option whether or not you partner, just gives you creative ways that are legal, completely legal, to let him do his own thing and you do your own thing. When you do that, you create a 20%, 28% rise in revenue in your business. You're still working your W-2 job. You're still doing the things that you do, but now because of the choices you've made, you've been rewarded in your tax scenario. So five houses... $2,800 per house. Do you understand? $2,800 per house. Now, here's the other funny thing about the IRS. They say, well, let's say that last year you paid me $10,000, but this year you lost money. You got five houses saying you lost 50 grand and you only made 40. They're going to say you lost 10. The IRS is going to say, well, let's look at last year's tax return. Because you paid us last year, we'll give you some of that money back. So now the IRS is mailing you money from last year up to five years back. So what you've created is you've created a money machine, okay? You've created monopoly. You've gone from one house to two house to three house to four. Now you're sitting there with your fifth house. You, you have tax benefits that equal your salary. You're getting back $10,000 in taxes. That means that just with that chunk, you're able to go buy another house this year with that down payment. You're, but you're stepping out of the area where you can continue to use the 3% down program. You're stepping into an area where you need to get a commercial loan or a, a owner non-occupied loan that are gonna be probably in that 10 to 20% range, 10% down, 20% down. So you've gotta come up with $26,000 to buy your $260,000 house, right? Now that $260,000 house has gone to about 290 because as your houses have gone up, so is what you're buying. But you also have five houses giving you $200 a month. So you're getting $1,000 a month into your kitty. 
you've got $10,000 coming back from Uncle Sam, and you're still putting in 300 bucks a month. That sounds like a house to me at 20% down. Oh, and did I tell you when you buy a house with 20% down, you're not putting mortgage insurance on it. And when you're not putting mortgage insurance on it, on a typical $260,000, $290,000 house, you're going to save $150 a month. So now instead of your house giving you $200 a month, it's going to give you $300 a month. You follow me, boys and girls? Pretty soon, by year 10 of this scenario, and I have a spreadsheet if you'll email me, find me at shannonrobnet.com, hit me there, and ask for the spreadsheet, the Monopoly spreadsheet. I'll send it to you. But by the end of year 10, you've got somewhere between 12 and 15 or 20 houses, depending on the price point of the house in your area. Now, if you're dealing with an area like Los Angeles where one it's a million bucks, this, this isn't going to work. If you're dealing with some of the areas in the south where you can buy that same house for 800 bucks, or sorry, $80,000 and your rents are six, $700, that's all great because you can change this spreadsheet to show you what your area is. But it calculates a modest appreciation. It calculates tax benefits. It does all those kinds of things. So be sure and email me, and I'll get that out to you. But do you understand the power of this, guys? In, in 10 years, you've created 15 houses. Well, now some of you are sitting there going, but Shannon, I just created 15 headaches. Well, as you know from my other information that I put out here, there's a lot of different ways to do that without having to be the landlord. And we can talk about those later again. ShannonRobNet.com, hit me there with the a follow-up email. We'll, we'll talk about that. You can schedule a phone call. We can do all kinds of stuff. But the reality is if you look at that, you have in your lifetime, in 10, in, not in your lifetime, in a 10-year span, if you're getting $200 per house, let's just say you're 200 bucks a house, and you have created 10, 15 houses, that's putting you at $3,000 a month. Now, we use the scenario there where you were making $50,000 a month. Or sorry, 50000 Man, I'm getting this mixed up. $50,000 a year. I grab my calculator here, uh, and I go, because I want to make sure I'm accurate, because so far, I mixed my months and my years up. And we take $50,000, and we divide that by 12, and that means that we are getting paid the equivalent of $4,166 a month, but we're paying Uncle Sam 28% of that, so we're taking off $1,100 of that, so we're coming home with three grand a month. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that with just that scenario, just that scenario, moving four times, accumulating four houses to start with through the FHA-type programs with 3% or less down, you have been able to, in a 10-year period of time, walk away from your job. Now, it doesn't, mean that you're, it doesn't mean that you're rich enough to go buy a yacht, but it does mean that you have found a way to replace your W-2 income with something else. And instead of Uncle Sam saying, Mr. Rob Nett, we're taxing your income from your employer at 28%, the IRS looks at it and says, that's rental income. That's passive income. We're going to tax that at 18%, almost half. And so now you've created tax savings. You've created, you've created wealth growth, and you've created an income stream in 10 years. And what have you done? You've moved four times, and you've been the landlord of 15 people. I can show you a lot of other ways to do that without involving the moving, without involving all that kind of stuff. But in that scenario right there, I could send you a simple spreadsheet how to play Monopoly and how to get 
your real estate life going. And it's not about buying a house for $40,000, putting some magic sauce on it and flipping it out to the rest of the market at $400,000. It's not about slamming a home run. It's about $200 a month. It's about $150 a month. It's about mitigating your taxes. So guys, thanks for joining me on the Real Estate Rundown. Hope that's been insightful. If you've got more questions, you know where to find me all over the web, all over Instagram. But it was great talking with you right here in the Real Estate Rundown. Thanks, guys.